0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Kodakery. I'm Megan and I'm Josh with us today in the Kodakery is Christine Vachon. Christine is an award-winning film producer and co-owner of the production company Killer Films. Her current project Carol is in theaters across the country and has been garnering significant nominations. Today in the Kodakery we will be discussing Carol, working with director Todd Haynes, shooting on film, and the challenges of producing movies. So, let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with Christine.
1: With that, let's, let's actually talk about Carol. So, how, how did you become involved in this project, and, and what drew you to the subject matter?
2: Well, you know, actually, I read the book originally um, uh, in the, uh, you know, probably in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it, I think in, in 1990, it was reissued as Carol. It had originally been called The Price of Salt. Um, and i was very struck by it uh you know for a variety of reasons there really wasn't anything else quite like it it kind of walked the line between you know uh, all those popular uh lesbian pulp novels that came out in the 50s that we were all kind of reading ironically in the 90s um and really you know it had it had an edge and uh um an almost it kind of dissected this couple falling in love uh in a way that was incredibly intellectual, but also incredibly moving. Anyway, another, another a couple other producers were trying to turn it into a movie as early as, as then, um, and there was a script that made the rounds uh, at, at some point. So I sort of was aware of it, but about 10 years after that, at least, um, uh, Elizabeth Carlson... Got a hold of the rights, so I so my 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 calendar's a little off. I think she got a hold of the rights about five or six years ago okay and but but after a very long period of um of wanting them and and sort of you know trying to figure out when they'd come up again, etc., she got a hold of the rights and she started working with Phyllis Naj uh who was the writer director of a movie we all made together called Mrs. Harris with Annette Benning and Ben Kingsley. So Phyllis, um, you know, made the script, you know, uh, really, I think really wrote an impeccable script and with Liz made it into something, you know, really, really special. And they attached Cate Blanchett and they attached another director who was not Todd and they, you know, started pulling their money together. So one day, Liz and I were on the phone about three years ago, and um, we were complaining to each other, as, you know, producers do. That's sort of all we do when we (laughs) talk to each other. And um, Liz said, you know, we were just, you know, we were just speaking to each other as close friends and colleagues. She said, I can't believe it. after all this, it looks like I'm losing my director on Carol. You know, I want to kill myself. It's been so hard. And. I thought we were finally about to, you know, hit the finish line. And I said, you know, something like, tell me about it. It looks like we're not getting the cast we need for Todd Haynes' new movie. And I don't think that's going to happen, you know, when we thought it was. And then there was a silence. (laughs) And then one of us said, let's show it to Todd. And literally 48 hours later, he was attached. Wow. That's awesome.
1: man that just oh, very serendipitous how that all came together
2: yeah, and unusual, I mean because you know usually I mean Todd tends to pretty you know really pretty much do scripts that he's generated himself, um although you know obviously he worked with Phyllis on the script to some degree, it's her script but but you know it really uh it, for in in independent film that was like you know that was like a nanosecond
1: right. right it sounds like this this project had a very long kind of development period is that typical for a project i mean how yes. uh, they they take decades at times to come together
2: you know sometimes it's just like you have to wait for like the zeitgeist pendulum to swing back your way i mean we've had projects that we have been very excited about and for, what a, for whatever reason we either we can't get cast interested we can't get financiers interested we get the cast, but not the money. We get the money, but not the cast. For whatever reason, it's just not the time for that particular project. So when that happens, we 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 try not to say, okay, it's dead. We, If we really believe in its quality, we try to sort of set it aside, but keep our eyes and ears ho- open, you know, for the right moment, you know. Uh, we have a film going to Sundance called Goat by Andrew Neal, and it's based on a script that was written... At least 10 years ago originally by David Gordon Green and you know we couldn't get it made then and then you know we had the great good fortune to get to know Andrew and his work and realize that he was the perfect person
1: that's that's fantastic so so in this process is the role I mean uh, like how do you shepherd these things along I mean how many projects do you tend to have going at once if it takes potentially you know 10 years to get something off the ground like that Well.
2: You know, we have a lot of projects happening in sort of all w- within our within our orbit, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, we we shot the Todd Solon's film last spring. We just finished an Andrew Dasanmu film uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer. We are, you know, talking about shooting Todd Haynes' next film this coming spring. And then we've got any number of potential television project, web series, all kinds of different wow. ideas moving forward, you know, again, like just, you know, in, in our, in our world.
0: Oh, well, you, you've actually worked a lot with Todd Haynes in the past. Yes. What brings you, keeps bringing you guys
2: back together? Um, you know, we, we really started our careers together. And there's something really fortuitous about that because, you know, we're the same age, uh we we went through you know some some tough times together when we made poison back in i guess 1991 you know it was in the middle of the aids crisis and there was a sense of urgency about telling your stories and and making your films that was really it's hard to explain if you weren't if you weren't living it but it absolutely touched Everything that we did, especially whatever means of creative expression you know we we could get our hands on, and um, you know that you know going through something like that with someone you know you feel like you you know you've really like you've been through a war, right? Um, so you know there's that there's you know we we have a very strong friendship, and you know but I think at the base it's simply I I feel so lucky I just feel like. I had the good fortune to, you know, to see his his film Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, really early on, and realized that it was, uh, you know, that it was it was indicative of the kind of movies I really wanted to be involved in. It was provocative, it was um, it was incredibly innovative and original, and it was entertaining. And I just thought, like, this is that's it, like, Eureka. That's what I've been looking for.
0: Right. Well, as a producer in general, how do how do you how do you find projects? How, do you seek them? Do people reach out? Is it is there any order to it?
2: I'm like yes to all of those things. <laughs> I mean, we you know we we built up relationships with a number of directors um, whose work we, who we love working with and whose work we love. So those obviously. They, you know, they, the, the writer directors are sort of what people think of killer. Uh, when they think of killer, that's what they think of first. But then, you know, we go to film festivals. If we see if we see work that we love, we reach out to the director. Uh, we're working with Alex Ross Perry, uh, who's an extraordinary filmmaker. Um, and uh, that's because we saw his film. Now that the name of the film is, escape, is escaping my mind, but it'll come back to me. Um and so that's you know that that that's another way. Or we look at shorts. Agencies give us scripts. We hear about a cool script. You know, it's kind of you know we read an article we love. We read a book that we love. Any kind of way um, you can you know you can possibly get a hold of something. We we practice.
1: Excellent. So. And congratulations, are in order, on the Golden Globe and the SAG nominations. Oh, That's really exciting. What, what does that mean for a film to get that type of recognition?
2: You know, it's great. I mean, uh, it's, the film is, is coming out very slowly. Um, I think the Weinstein Co. has been doing an extraordinary job. And I think that the, you know, especially because people, you know, right now, it went to 16 theaters today, but for the past three or four weeks, it's only been in four, I mean, you know, across the country. So I think that, you know, with the Critics Awards and the Globe nominations, it's just building that kind of excitement. People are, you know, uh, really, like, their anticipation is building in a great way.
1: Yeah, excellent, and and uh, both Kate Blanchett and Anne Rooney Mara have been nominated for Best Actress, which for the mm-hmm. Golden Gloves has just got to be really exciting. So, can you talk about their performances and what they brought to the storytelling?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Kate is uh, has has worked with Todd before and me. I'm not there. I mean, she's a true master master of her craft, you know. I mean, you know, in I'm Not There, she played, you know, a young Bob Dylan type character about as far from Carol as you can possibly get. And so Todd was able to rehearse with them, which we don't always get to do, you know, because our budgets are challenging and sometimes the actors have carved out such a tiny period of time that they can be with you that you can't spend any of that time doing anything except filming them. But on Carol, I think he, he had he had a little time, and so he was able to really work with the two of them. And, you know, people keep praising uh, the film for what people don't say as much as what they do say. Yeah. And I think a lot of that extraordinary tension and the imagery was, you know, the seeds of that were sown in those, in those rehearsals. You know, Kate was attached when, when Todd came on, which was, you know, part of the reason he decided to come on. And, um, and Rooney was the part he really got to cast. So I think that was pretty exciting for him. Um, And he, you know, of course, he was a big fan of hers, from some of her, you know, well known earlier work. But I think in Carol, she's, it's a Rooney you've never seen before. Right. Yeah. And Carol
0: was shot on film. Um, so Super sixteen. How did that impact the storytelling? And I'm sure that it impacted Kate and Rooney too. How did that play a role in the in the whole thing?
2: Well, you know, look, Todd and his uh, his DP Ed Lackman have been shooting on film. Uh, they they Todd hasn't not yet. You know, I believe he's done a few smaller things or commercials where he's shot on digital, but for his you know for his feature projects, and including his mini-series for HBO, Mildred Pierce, that was also on Super 16. And he tends, on on I'm Not There, he he used a variety of different film stocks. So he loves working with film, he loves the texture, he loves the grain. I think that when people see Carol, they often come out, um, you know, I I was lucky enough to do some Q&As the opening weekend, at the Angelica and the Paris in New York. And a lot of people were just going on and on about extra- how extraordinary the film looked. And they they sort of were like, there was this, and they would sort of put their, you know, rub their hand in front of their face as if they were rubbing a window or a mirror, you know, in like a circular motion. They were like, there was this thing on the the, something about the screen, about the, about the image and I was like, it's grain. That's it's what film. you're trying to say. It's yeah. grain. You know? And uh you know, it's just it's it's exciting. Look, I we do a lot of movies in digital too. And I I'm and and there's and there's reasons why we do, you know, do one movie in one medium as opposed to another and I'm glad we have that choice. Sure. Right. But uh but it given given the, the mood that Carol was evoking you know, 1952, New York, winter. I can't imagine it any other way.
1: Yeah, we haven't had a chance to see the movie yet, but right, the right, trailer, uh, the trailer is beautiful, and just the way the colors come across, the warm colors, the all of it. I mean, I just we can't wait to see it, and it really looks like a beautiful movie. So, so as we talk about um, a little bit about shooting on film, and we we totally totally get that it's an artist's choice. An artist, we want to make sure that there's various tool It's and tools not always an
2: artist's choice. That is actually not true. I'd say many filmmakers want to shoot and film and, and it's prohibitive for their budgets for various reasons.
1: That was going to be my next question, actually, was how, film as a producer, like working on uh, kind of the... You know, you're, you're driving the budgets and a lot of the financial decisions that have to be made. How does film, shooting on film versus digital impact that? And in some cases, as you say, that it may be prohibitive. Um, and that was a, a big storyline on Project Greenlight, for example. That uh, Yes. So, so could you talk a little bit about the challenges there?
2: Um, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it really is the fact that, you know, film is, that there's less of it being shot. So the resources are dwindling in terms of, like, where you can actually get it processed, etc. I mean, you guys must be more aware of that than anybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it you know, it becomes more difficult, you know, when you're, when, when you're trying to sort of make a case for it to, you know, to, to just figure, you know, it, 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 take, it takes longer or, you know, it just, it just throws up on a tiny movie where you can't really throw money at an issue. It can just sometimes seem prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like some movies just benefit from it more, and there's some films that are very well served by shooting on digital for a variety of reasons. You know, because maybe they can be a little bit more nimble, and the storytelling doesn't is doesn't require that. That Patina exactly, that patina, excuse me, yeah. mm-hmm. like uh, like I would argue on Project Greenlight that Effie was right, and the movie didn't need to be shot on film,
1: right, well, and that's when I said artist' choice, I think that's what I really was getting to is that we want to, we want the toolbox of tools to be available so that if a project needs film, film is there, but you know absolutely. not every project should be done on film, and that that we absolutely you, you know agree it. with a hundred percent,
2: absolutely,
1: yep. So, so could we talk a little bit you know, about you? I mean, you, you, you've been uh, you, you know, extremely successful, produced so many uh, wonderful films. And uh, we have a, the audience for the Kodakery is going to be people across the board, and we're going to have a lot of young people trying to break into the business. And so could you talk a little bit about how you got your start and, and the journey that you've had?
2: Sure. I mean, I had the good fortune to, you know, I grew up in Manhattan, I went away to college in Providence, Rhode Island, came back to New York in the mid-80s, and there were a lot of filmmakers starting to make their first movies, like Jim Jarmusch and Spike Lee and Betty Gordon. And up until that point, I really thought that there was a very strong divide, that there was Hollywood movies, and there were experimental films or non-Hollywood films that tended to be aggressively anti-narrative. And to be honest, I didn't find terribly interesting. And when I saw the first movies of some of the filmmakers I mentioned, I was blown away because they were were such personal, original stories, but they needed production. They had to be, you know, they were art-directed and costume-designed and DP'd and and, but they were, were very often not so experimental in form, but wildly experimental in content, and sometimes both. I started working on a film called Parting Glances that Bill Sherwood directed. Uh, that was Steve Buscemi's first film, I believe. And that taught me an enormous amount about the sort of, you know, it was a very personal story and the kind of intensity and passion necessary to get something like that on the screen, and it was so good. So then I kind of, you know, I was a production assistant. I worked in various departments, locations. Assistant directing is kind of where I landed, because that was very much being at the heartbeat of, of a film set. You know, you knew everything. You organized everything. <clears throat> it, was, it, was kind of a, it was kind of a good place for me. Then I started working with um, with two people I had been at Brown with, Todd Haynes and Barry Ellsworth, uh, to start uh, a a short film, a company to make short films. Which I know sounds like a very commercial endeavor, not, but um, (laughs) but we, uh, for some reasons, we got it into our heads. There was a lot of grant money at that time. We got it into our heads that we were going to actually produce short you know work with with people who wanted to make short films and actually produce them and then todd haynes made superstar not as part of our company which was called apparatus and then you know when he started thinking about making an next uh, uh his next project i just kind of jumped in front of him and said and we're you know and i will be producing that
0: <laughs> nice. So great how about being a woman, like, as being a producer? Do you think that played a role? Was it hard? Did it not affect I, things? You know, I always
2: have a hard time with that question because I don't know what it's like not to be one. So <laughs> it's a hard compare and contrast.
0: Fair enough. I mean,
2: you know, I I know right now we're in the, ma- in the in the midst of a big discussion about the lack of female directors on both, you know, the small and big screen, and i really appreciate the transparency that it's kind of forcing everybody to everyone to be somewhat more accountable and even killer even though i think our track record's really good it could be better and it's forcing us to be more introspective as well you know i feel like i in some ways you know i've colleagues male colleagues who came up in the business with me who have left And one of the reasons they've left um, producing is they cite, you know, continually dealing with uh, a perceived lack of respect or or condescension by new young financiers who think they know how to do it better than you, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess my response to that sometimes is like, you know, because I am female, I'm used to being condescended to, and I've figured out, you know, coping mechanisms to let it roll right off me. I don't even, you know, I'm very pragmatic. I just see the goal at hand and go for it. And, you know, I, I'm fine with, you know, having to deal with a little perceived disrespect. Well, that's not true. With that kind of perceived condescension yeah. if I can get if I can get around it to get what I need yeah. in other words I think producing is it's a difficult job a colleague once said producing is like being asked to organize like the best party in the world being handed the check and not being invited <laughs> and that's absolutely true you know, we work our butts off on a movie only to find when we get to the film festival that our names aren't even listed in the catalog. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a shame. But yeah, yeah. In general, it sounds like being a woman has just made you stronger, if anything. if nothing else. I suppose. Right, one way to look at it. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah,
1: okay. So, so um, in in your time, what kind of how's the in, industry changing? Like you, we talked a little bit just a minute ago about the transparency that's coming. Like, what trends are you seeing? Like, what changes have you seen since you started? You know, with your, your career as a producer.
2: You know, I mean, I I've certainly seen since I started putting you know hiring people in, on film crews in the early '90s. I, I mean, I remember back then it was like, you know, and I gave two, two women DPs a big start. One was Ellen Curris and, um, and one was Mary Alberti, who shot Creed. And I'm really happy to say I think they both shot their first narrative features with me. Um, so we were sort of pioneering. At that time, like, you know, women DPs felt few and far between. And, you know, a female gaffer or grip was practically unheard of. And that's really changed. Like now film crews feel a lot more, a lot more mixed in every sense of the word. So that's cool. I think, you know, the, what digital has had a real seismic shift in, you know, I think people are still trying to figure out how, the kind of impact that has on the sort of stories they want to tell. And, you know, in terms of just film financing itself, there's tremendous downward pressure on our budgets. Uh, that can be attributed, obviously, to the fact that you know DVD as a recruitment mechanism is dead and buried. So, and that happened like overnight. So right. the film business didn't replace it. You know, it's not figured out what to replace it with. And the fact that so much of our financing strategies are based on foreign sales, based pre-sales, which puts a tremendous amount of of uh, pressure on casting. And also means like the kind of movies I make, you know, they're often called execution dependent, which means in layman's terms, no one knows if they're going to be worth anything until they're done and they're good. So that's that's made that's made life, you know, tough, tougher for us. All of that said, you know, I think it's a time of great opportunity. I'm I totally you know, my glass is definitely half full. Um, the fact that there's so many different kinds of platforms to to put your you know to exploit your work on different ways for people to see your work, different kinds of stories that you can tell for these different kinds of platforms, I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're at a time where there's there's so many tools for people to make content and to start to tell their stories um, on big and small levels. And then I'm uh, really you mentioned DVD sales like Netflix and Hulu and a lot of these new people who aren't just uh, streaming content, but actually creating content. That's I mean, right. Do you see them as becoming a larger fixture in the industry?
2: Well, I think they're already, I mean, look at the Golden Globes, you know. Right. They're already staking their claim. And, you know, um, I haven't seen Chirac yet, but it it looks great, and it's getting fantastic reviews. And it feels like, you know, what Amazon is doing um is kind of like a return to that, you know, those mid-level budget movies that everyone is moaning about missing so much. Hopefully we'll put our money where our mouth is and go see them.
1: Right, right. So what about, we talked about, the, you know, the audience that we're going to have, you know, young filmmakers trying to break into the industry today. Do you have any tips, any, any advice for a new person trying to break into the industry?
2: my biggest advice is, you know, young filmmakers have to start thinking very entrepreneurially. And, um, you know, there's no excuse now not to be able to, to make work. You know, people can shoot entire films, obviously, like Tangerine on their iPhones. So, the you know, the most important thing is to start proving that you can tell a story so that when you're when you encounter somebody, you know, some kind of gatekeeper like me or people who work with me, Uh, you can immediately show us, look, I know what I'm doing. I know, you know, I I know how to put images together in an effective way. I think, you know, building community is one of those buzzwords people are talking about all the time these days and building an audience, etc. But I think what it really means is, you know, I mean, I think like crowdfunding, for example, is so much more about building an audience than it is about actually getting your money, your, your movie financed. And that idea of just of reaching out and making a community invested in you as a storyteller you know and figuring out ways to do that you know that's really i guess what it's all about now
1: yeah and and i've seen you know kickstarter as an example has almost become a place to a proof of concept like exactly i've seen that happen in comic books and film and lots of different places where people are using that to kind of say look there is an interest in this that's right and social media can be the same, and it's such a huge... Again, when you talked about seismic shift, I mean, the ability to just go directly out and build your own audiences, it's so different than it used to be.
2: Absolutely.
1: We really appreciate you joining us. It's been a great uh, to talk to you. We really appreciate it. We can't wait to see Carol. And uh, and you know, as we've talked, I would love to maybe even... Someday in the future, if you had time, and look, maybe get you and a couple producer colleagues and do an episode about producing. I think there's so much interest, kind of behind the scenes things that that people just don't know about.
2: Right. To get oh, some exposure. Be, I'd be delighted. Yeah. exposure, yeah, exposure into
0: what that's... you guys actually do, and so we can people yeah. can get uh, exposed to that. Yeah.
2: Well, there's a lot of myths surrounding producing, and I think part of that is because, you know, people see, especially these days, there's like 10 executive producers and two associate producers and then who's the co producer and they and they just like who are all these people? Yeah, you know? Yep. And it is confusing. It can be confusing to us sometimes. Um and you know, uh if you're a writer or a director and a financier comes along and they say, I'm gonna put up X amount of money to your for your budget but in exchange I want a co writing credit, the answer is like, what are you, on crack? <laughs> But right. if they say, you know, but, but I want a, a co-producing credit, the answer is always okay. But, of course, I would also argue they deserve it because they are putting up that money, and that's what's getting the movie made, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a tough one, you know, really being able to say what is it that a producer does. It can be three paragraphs of uh, they approve the this, and they sign that contract, and they do that. Or it can just be one line. They get the movie made. Right right, right, right.
1: But in that, I bet there's a lot of good storytelling oh, yeah. and just uh, oh, yeah. behind the scenes stuff we could dig into. So that, um, but but uh, so thank you so much for joining us. We're really we really appreciate you being here, and uh, we look forward to seeing Carol and and uh, we'll be rooting for it during awards season.
2: Excellent. Thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. Take care. Bye great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention.